0: Mentally and physically, success could be defined as getting up one more time after you've been knocked down over and over and over again. I'm T. Wood, and this is Triumphant Moments, where I highlight significant moments in life that are beyond the surface to inform, encourage, and inspire people to triumph over their life's challenges. With me today, I said with me today, I have none other than Mr. Bernard Kinsey. He is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, retired Xerox executive and expert in the field of urban revitalization and economic development. He is originally from West Palm Beach, Florida. He is a graduate of the Florida A&M University and Pepperdine University. He he and his wife, Shirley, have a passion for African-American history and art and are creators of the world-renowned Kenzie African-American Art and History Collection and Foundation. He resides in Los Angeles. Together, he and his wife have one son. There is a plethora of things that I could talk about or enlighten as far as the successes he's had here. But for me, T. Wood, one of the greatest things that stands out about Brother Kenzie is his heart and his desire. To help people, in general, it means a lot. Welcome, 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 brother Kenzie. How are you?
1: Fine, uh, T Wood. It's good to good to be with you. Um, yeah, the the reality is, you just have to keep working at things. Uh, we 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 worked on this for almost forty five minutes. Um, you know, I was saying, you know, there's no such thing as quitting. Is you know, uh, it's just giving up. So You know, persistence is one of my uh, uh, attributes that I really hope that your listeners will will think about because without persistence, talent, goodwill will never work. So uh, you just have to stay focused on, uh, you know, what you want and what we found. If I want what I want more than you want me not getting it, I'll get mine. It's just that simple.
0: What would a normal daily routine look like for you? You got push-ups,
1: sit-ups, meditation, uh, yoga? Well, I, I swim about a mile a day for the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Wow. So right after I finish this, I'll go to the pool and and do 80 or 100 laps. Uh, and I do that rain <clears throat> rain or shine. Uh, and it's it's. You know, if you don't take care of your physical self, your mental and emotional and spiritual self won't have enough energy to be able to play the game. We all need energy to play this game called living in life. And you only get that by feeling good and having a resolve about taking care of you first, then the people you love, then your friends, and then your community in that order. And if you get that out of of phase, you frankly won't have enough energy to be able to do the, the, the really heavy lifting that being just being alive in America, and we have a saying: uh, what we want people, you know, and, and and I really think that particularly black folks have to develop the idea of, of two concepts. One is to resist, and another is to expect. Our 18th, 19th century brothers and sisters that were enslaved in America—we don't use the word slave. Anytime you see the word slave, you say enslaved. So <clears throat> the idea <clears throat> really is to pattern ourselves after our ancestors that did so much with so little. So the idea of resisting this racism, this voter suppression, this idea that color is the only thing that matters in this country, we have a saying that uh, your skin speaks before you do. And it's true because the darker you are in America, the more difficult it is. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is not say, ain't it awful. What we have to say is, what am I going to do about it? So the whole idea about this journey that we all take, and we all have to take it, you know, and if you, you know, <laughs> we have a saying, if, if if you start behind in the, in the race of life, You just have to run faster than the other people, okay? It's just that simple. So this this notion about uh, ain't it awful and y'all don't like me and black people have been treated poorly, you know what? All of it's true, but racism is like rain. It's either gathering or falling on you. So I say get you an umbrella. And when you get an umbrella, you can play the game because the, the game is really about living a good life not about fighting people for your uh, you know manhood or dignity, and all the things I hear people talk about mm-hmm. so so the idea of our ancestors is to resist, resist every aspect of American uh, life that does not respect the African American story and experience. And the second part is expectancy. Expectancy is where each of us land as it relates to being, having a good life, to having a good family, having a good community. And without both of those, you're never gonna have the kind of life that all of us ask for. So what makes being, uh, you know, we say being black is like having a second job. And it, it is to a large degree. And the reality is, it's true, which means you have to sharpen your skills you have to be more focused. You have to be, but more persistent and more determined to reach your goals. And we have a saying: um, If you allow somebody to tell you what kind of life you're going to have, let me tell you what they have planned for you. Not much. Ooh, ooh. Okay. So if you don't, if you don't accept the fact that it's your responsibility to live. In the present about what you want to do with your life shame on you
0: brother Ken I wanted to connect this with you now you you grew up in West Palm Beach Florida as a fellow Floridian okay right. I wanted I wanted to get an idea of what it was like in in your household you know in your upbringing you know uh siblings uh like how yes, would you describe it's, your it's upbringing in your
1: brothers sisters my dad, Florida AM, my mom, Florida and M. My mom played in the band 1939. So when I played in the band 1961, it was just part of, you know, uh the the induction. My brother went to Famu. I had all of my sisters, with the exception of one, went to black colleges, Howard, Tennessee State, West Virginia. So we come from a uh second generation family, which was somewhat unusual, you know, in the Black South. I was born, I'm 78 so 1943. Uh but my dad uh uh graduated, uh got a master's, a principal for 39 years at West Palm Beach. Ooh. And there's a school named after him, uh the UB Kinsey uh a school of uh, art uh magnets and arts in West Palm Beach. And he really he and my mom uh married sixty-three years before he passed. So I really was lucky in a lot of respects, but we came out of a very segregated environment in West Palm beach, but it was a great way to grow up. I mean, uh, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles and nieces, nephews, cousins that all live close to each other in this. Like segregated a village. village. Hmm? It was like a village that, you know, you could, Oh well, yeah, it was a village. Uh, we may have not called that until now, but yeah, it was our village. And, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, and, you know where black businesses were strong. My grandfather owned uh, Kinsey Groceries down on Rosemary, which was the main drag, and it was a very uh, popular grocery store that sold some of the best meats in, in in Palm Beach County. So, so I did not grow up poor. Uh, I grew up very middle class. Uh, my, you know, my dad, uh, mom. I mean, my mom was most probably the most frugal person I've ever met. And the frugality she had, she taught that to me. And frankly, I'm very frugal to this day. Uh, and and uh, I tell people all the time, if you want a good life, you better be frugal. In oh. other words, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. So the idea is if you don't put aside something from every paycheck, yeah, came on you because mm-hmm. you need more than a rainy day fund. You need a sunny day fund. I retired at 47, 31 years ago. That's what I'm talking about. Come on. And, I mean, people, what the way Shirley and I live is what people dream about. And the idea really is nobody gave us anything. I I, I never will forget 1967 when we moved to California with $26 and a job. Come on. I called my dad. I said, Dad, I need to buy a car. I need Two hundred fifty dollars or three hundred fifty dollars, forgot what it was. And you know, what my daddy told me he said, "I don't buy cars." He said, "You grown by yourself." So I bought a nineteen sixty one Dodge Lancer with no air conditioning, no heat, no air, no anything. It was just a motor in a car. And paid two hundred fifty dollars. I borrowed two fifty from my employer because my job was in Orange County. I lived in L.A. Didn't know that because, you know, I just didn't know it. But uh, my my homeboy, John Clayton, who, uh, one of my closest friends, his mother taught me in the second grade and his mother worked at my dad's school. That's Mm. the kind of connection that West Palm Beach had. But this was typical in most black communities all over the South. Uh, It was nothing really. uh, It was exceptional, but it was pretty normal from a black uh, community standpoint. So. So when I buy this car, we, we named the car Lizzy. Uh, oh, yeah. What's that name again? Lizzie. Lizzie. It was a, a lime green 1961 Dodge Lancer with the push button on the, on the side. Just, I mean, it was a car. But it really, it really informed me because most of my friends were buying new cars, which is what I wanted my dad to loan me money to buy. Right, And it turned out that that was the best thing that he did was not allow, would not give me the money to buy a new car. We, in the times, at least I
0: can say that I know I've grown up in, we kind of call it the times of the bling bling. So it's the flashy cars, the clothes, yeah. you know, to kind of show a certain type of lifestyle. So I just had to interject because you're really hitting on something that I really want our listeners you know, to know what, what, so what is your, your feelings toward the, the bling bling, you know, the extra nice cars as far as when you're coming up to be what exactly you want, what it is that you want
1: to be. What, what is uh, your thoughts towards that? It, it, it's a, a car is probably one of the worst investments you can make. Come on. Uh, so in 1971, after we bought our house, we bought a brand new Mercedes. And that was before Mercedes were even, people didn't even know what the heck it was. But we kept that car 20 years. And we we kept all of our cars 15 to 20 years. Even today, I got a, uh, a 1995 Mercedes I'm looking at right now that uh, got 58,000 miles on it. So the, the idea really is, is not, you know, Shirley and I felt that instead of following the Joneses, we'd create our own model. Tell them. And, it, and it, it turned out that you know, people resonate with the idea of a couple working together. And I, I just can't tell you what uh, having a partner like Shirley means, because for, for the first 15 years of our marriage, she didn't spend a paycheck. So we took the first 15 years of her uh, earnings, all my bonuses, all of my raises, and we put it into property. So you don't want to own poverty, you want to own property. Property. And once once we began to own apartment buildings, commercial buildings, houses, the world changed. Mm. In terms of our ability to control and dictate our lives. And we didn't take long to 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 realize that, you know, we could get out of this working for someone.
0: Mm.
1: I, you know, I realized a long time ago that Xerox was never going to be Xerox and Sons or Xerox and Kinsey. Mm. And when I figured that out, even after 10 years as the vice president at Xerox, see. I realized that I wanted to do more with my life. And I wanted to, first of all, have a lot more control over my life. Right, And that's exactly what we've done. So
0: I wanted to pull this from you. Could you please think of something that stands out to you that you personally, you know, for you, that you had to overcome in your life? What's something that's in your life in your time that was may have been very difficult to go through, or even if you found a way to cope with it, it happened, and you still found a way to cope with it. What
1: would that be? The, the first job I got, I was the first black uh park ranger in Grand Canyon. And that was that was difficult because myself and my best friend Nick Walker, also a fan of you and we were we were hired to integrate the park system, and uh, we had a we had a uh, supervisor from uh, Natchez, Mississippi. I'll never forget this guy. His name Taylor. And being a, a you know, I think I was twenty one, but I had never seen white people really in a real serious way. Never been on an airplane. Never saw a mountain. I not, You know, I was a country boy out of West Palm Beach. You know, with uh, with with a FAMU degree. And was put into the situation where, you know, this guy did not want us there. The idea was they may have hired you, but I'm not going to I'm going to fire you. So we, you know, for the first 10, 12 weeks, we really had a tough deal going uh, because he was just mean uh, to a fault. Uh, But, you know, uh, my mom used to tell me if someone gives you a lemon, you make lemonade out of and you don't let people uh, deter you from what you're trying to do so what he did was he put he put us on the night shift, the midnight shift. so that meant you know in in grand canyon the park service is like the police so indians american indians that lived there didn't like the 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 park service people so they didn't like us either because we were you know represented that And then all the whites there, which is that's all it was, didn't like us because we were black. So we really did not have a lot of room uh, to feel comfortable. But, you know, what we we decided uh, was, and it's the best thing I think we've done. We said, you know what? So we will work at night and then we'll explore Grand Canyon Park in the daytime. And that's what we did. I mean, we hiked down to Phantom Ranch. We did the East Rim, Kaibab Trail. I mean, fell in love with this part of America that I had first first time ever seen, you know, this kind of landscape and geology. Right. And that informed me in a way that was just really uh, even now. So Shirley and I have essentially gone to every national park west of the Mississippi. So what I tell black people particularly, but white people, too, one of the best vacations you could take is to a national park. And one of the cheapest vacations you could take is to a national park. So what we have to do is think about other ways to inform ourselves and to bring our kids up into environments that they will learn what discovery is all about. Mm-hmm. I remember my eighth grade teacher, Mr. McDonald, who uh, I remember him to this day. He was he was our geography teacher and he would sit us down with this book and take us all over the world, all over the world. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I saw a picture of the Parthenon in Athens, Greece. And I said then to myself, not knowing it subconsciously, that I wanted to go to that place. Literally, the first trip we took, the very first trip we took to Europe in 1977, we find ourselves checking into a hotel in Athens, Greece, and guess what's right outside our window? Come on, Brother Kenzo. So I'm a big believer in visualization, internalizing that, and then going to work to, to be able to, to, to make it happen. Brother so Kenz, can you say that that part again, please? please I'm a big it. believer in visualization. In other words, when you see something and visualize it, then internalize that. Tuck it away. Don't tell anybody about it. Because if you tell people about your dreams, your mind thinks you've already done it and you won't keep going after it. So you have to be careful about sharing your dreams because oftentimes you share uh, your, your 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 mind says, oh, you're, you're, you've already accomplished it. So you don't have that internal drive. So I keep these things to myself. Right. But I start working on. Them. So one of the things that Shirley and I have, which I love about our relationship, is that we see the future the same way. Mm-hmm. If you don't, I, I'll give an example. Two of our close friends out of Florida and them mm-hmm. moving to California. Matter of fact, I got, I got Tom a job, and in in uh, L.A. and they drove out, and I told him about Grand Canyon. And he said, I'm going to go see it. So it, they came out and and went uh, went to, to Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. He looked at it, and he was talking about how beautiful it was and how wonderful. And his wife said, it's just a big hole. And I oh. told him, a big hole. And I knew right then that that marriage wasn't, wasn't going to work. And it didn't. And I and I got we have countless other, you know, uh situations where 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 it happened. And it's not that either one was right or wrong, it's just you know, if 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 I see something that I think is beautiful and you think is ugly, how in the heck do you think we're gonna ever be able to make it work?
0: That what you just described, when did you realize that y'all like she had her perception of things? actually complimented or matched you? Like what point was this
1: in college that you realized oh, yeah, that? Sure. Because Shirley came from, you know, a very, uh, poor is probably not the right word, but she lived on a dirt road in a shotgun house with her grandmother mm-hmm. and, uh, basically lived on social security, uh, and came to Florida and then with a scholarship basically. So, uh, She had a different upbringing than I had uh, where I, you know, I came out of a very upper middle income family in in West Palm Beach. Mm -hmm. But it was her values were so grounded because of living with a grandmother. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I knew immediately that she had all the right stuff, you know, Uh, and she was frugal also, uh, which I like a lot. I mean, because I think uh, we would not have worked well for her being, a, you know, somebody that always wants things, you right. know, and there's some marriages that all they want to do is just spend money, you know, and, you know, it's just, it's See, not, it's not the way, you know, it's not what you make it's what you keep. You know, th- there are three things you need for a successful life. Let me, let me drop this nugget on That's you. Know? One is someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. Someone to love, something to do, something to look forward to. Those three predicates are so simple. They are incredibly difficult to live. And in 1980, we were in Kathmandu, Nepal. We went there to see Mount Everest. And And it was a Buddhist monk that said that to us. And... I had pen and paper. And I tell everybody you should always have pen and paper. Right if here, You still know when you're going to get this nugget or jewel. It's going to change your life. So I took these three principles, and I've been wrestling with them for 40 years. I think I got them, but it's still complicated. Okay? Wow. Someone to love, which is surely something to do. That something to do is always maybe changing from when I started 40 years ago to what we do now. Right. And then something to look forward to. And I've learned over the last 42 years with this concept that the last one is probably even more important than any of them because I saw on my dad's deathbed that he said, Bernard, if this is what it's gonna be, I don't wanna do it. In other words, he couldn't eat what he wanted to do, he had no mobility, you know, all those kind of things. And so he, he decided that that was not the kind of life he wanted to do because there was nothing he could look forward to. So what? So the other way to think about it, to go back to the dream statement, if you if you have something to look forward to, you internalize that. Right. It's amazing what you could do with your life.
0: What is some additional encouragement for free right now that you can provide to all of the listeners uh, and the followers?
1: The key thing is resistance and expectancy. You have to expect that you're going to have a better life. Then you have to do the things and prepare yourself to have that better life. And your plan has to be your plan. And you cannot expect anybody else to help you with your plan because they have their plan to to work on. There's a there's a, a statistic that only three percent of the people in America write down their goals, and almost ninety some percent of people never reach them because they don't write them down. So they're always you know making New Year resolutions for whatever, and those resolutions really have no meaning because you haven't followed through on those in terms of steps that you're going to begin first day, second day. Until you have interim success, mid to long range, and then long range success. And it's really on us to do to have the life we want to live. Man, James Baldwin has a saying, you know, uh, I hope I can remember it. Uh, basically, we live the lives we live because of how we uh, work and live each day. And that life really is determinant uh, of no, how we live that life. Mm-hmm. is what kind of life we end up having. In other words, if you live a, 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 a dishonest or a dishonorable life, um, you're always shirking responsibility and not expecting, you know, you're not going to have much. You follow right. I me? Mean? We have a saying, if you want to have the small problems, no, small dreams, small problems, small uh, successes, I want you to have large dreams, large problems and large successes because if you don't figure out how to problem solve you're not going to do well in this world so mm-hmm. if you have ideas of making you know an impact and i'm not talking about money being the the only determinant but i'm talking about right but you know when you accomplish goals you provide the energy to be able to get up every day to accomplish more goals mm-hmm. and when you don't accomplish goals it takes away your energy, in mm. your ability to be able to accomplish your goals. In other words, it's a net as a net negative right. when you keep things unfulfilled or unfinished. Right. So what you have to do is complete tasks. If you start completing little tasks, then midterm tasks come up then long-term tasks become a lot easier.
0: I appreciate you, just as I'll tell everybody to all the listeners and all the followers, sometimes in life, you must fail in order to succeed. But one thing must remain certain, under no circumstances do you ever, ever, ever give up. I agree. This is T. Wood. I'm with Brother Kenzie, Brother Bernard Kenzie. Thank you, brother.
1: All right. Take care.